familiar, uh, you know, we're using this class to go over the, the content on justice. You know, what does the Bible actually say about the nature of justice, um, how it should be lived out in today's world? Uh, part of the reason we're doing this class, as with anything else we cover, is because as we know um, there are many different ideas or thoughts or misconceptions around what Scripture actually says about the topic of justice, um, how we apply it into today's world. And so, you know, what we're trying to do through our sessions together is understand what does the Bible say? And then as we're going through some of these more uh, particular and more complex topics, why is it that godly Christians who have the same understanding of justice can disagree when it comes to how that should actually be worked out in day-to-day -day living? How we interpret events, how we make decisions, and we're going to cover some of that today as we go into next week as well. Um, but we really just want to understand everything we can on this topic. And so to give an overview again, uh, sorry if the words are a little bit small, we spent last week just defining justice biblically. You know, what do the scriptures say, especially as you're looking at the Old Testament? How do we understand those Hebrew words in their original language and context? Um, and then as we're going to today, we'll be covering how those passages, as we look in the Old Testament, should be understood and applied in today's world. Um, next week, we're going to go over how do we dialogue in disagreement. So this will really be helpful as we go through the case studies that we're going to be looking at. But honestly, is this helpful as believers in general? You know, how do we have more difficult conversations that are going to be um, truthful but loving, um, that are more nuanced and helpful as opposed to just causing uh, conflict and tension unnecessarily? And then we'll be spending the last three weeks going over specific topics as well, right? So what's often called criminal justice, the whole gamut of topics there, uh, environmental justice around things like global warming, um, the nature and the environment, and then economic justice. How do we think about things like taxes and redistribution or you know, how much where money should go for certain different groups of people? And uh, like we said last week, our goal is to, in the first three weeks, really lay the foundation that's needed and helpful for having these more difficult conversations. And so I know a lot of us have questions around these three uh, main topics, but we're gonna wait and save all those questions until we get there so we can really lay the foundation. One of the differences that we often see is, uh, you know, when we have these types of uh, conversations, maybe as you see on the news, they're typically done in sort of 30 second sound bites, right? You're trying to summarize an entire position an entire circumstance in 30 seconds, and that's just never gonna get to the level of uh, depth or conversation that we wanna have as believers. So we're trying to have at least three hours worth of conversations to understand the topic biblically, how to have these more difficult conversations, so we can be more productive as we get to those last three there. So uh, just to recap what we were doing um, last week we were trying again to define justice and uh, the definition we were using there was justice are the right fair and good conduct and practices within society grammatically i'm sure that could use a little bit of work but it's basically you know what is right righteous or what is good uh, what is fair in the way that people treat one another in society as we were looking at some of the passages last week, we saw that the way that you base and define what justice is, is the character of God, right? So we saw how God is a God of justice. He is a God who loves justice. And also, therefore, believers must be those who practice and love justice as well. Um, but we also need to base our definition and understanding of how justice works and should be practiced based on who God is and how he um, reveals what is truly just. So it's not that any one of us can just create whatever definition we like. We want to understand how does God show his justice in himself, in those laws that we saw in the Old Testament. Um, we also saw how that word justice in the Old Testament is very closely related to the word for righteousness. Um, there's many passages in which justice and righteousness are used either one after the other or even somewhat interchangeably in different passages. And what we take away from that is that to be just is to be righteous and to be unjust is a form of unrighteousness or even sin. And then as we're seeing in this last part here, right, we were just going over the overall definition, but I think all of us understood that just knowing the definition of justice understanding what it means in its generality won't tell you how to think in every single circumstance, right? Even if we are understanding that we need to be 
equitable and fair in how we treat one another, that we are not abusing uh, positions of authority or power for our own personal gain. Even if you understand all of those realities, it doesn't mean that we say, okay, therefore, I know how to look at all of these different situations in life and come out with the quote-unquote perfect um, God-honoring decision. Right? Hopefully, we're moving in that direction, but as we'll see, a lot of these conversations are very complex. They're very nuanced in uh, what causes uh, certain things to take place or how we should be thinking about it, some of which we'll cover today, some of which we'll get to as we go into next week. And so just really briefly, I want us to think about when people use that word social justice. You know, we didn't really cover this last week. Um, one of the takeaways from what we had covered last week is that there are many different ways to understand and to define social justice, right? So when a person, when you hear an individual, whether that's a believer or not, use the term social justice, um, again, the importance of definitions, we can't just use whatever understanding we have in ourselves and say, this is what they mean, right? And therefore I'm going to interpret or judge them based on my definition. It's so important in these conversations to understand what a person means when they use that term. Right? So if we're using the term social justice in its most generic sense, what that can mean is very much what we are defining biblical justice to be. Right? If you're simply referring to the idea that social justice is justice as it relates to our social dynamics or relationships, it can be used in a biblical sense. Right? So just because a person says social justice, you don't want to automatically assume uh, it's whatever you know, wrong thought you have in your mind. But we understand that people can have a number of meanings of social justice that are not biblical, right? That are rooted in whether you want to say it's a secular ideology, an atheistic ideology, a political ideology, whatever it may be. There are many uses of a term that very much we would say are not falling in line with the biblical understanding of justice as defined by God's character and what he expects for uh, his righteous people to do. So that's where we need to have nuance already. Everyone has a different understanding of what they mean by social justice or justice. And so part of how we have conversations is being able to clarify our terms or clarify what people mean. Uh, and so what we're doing as we move into our second week is, again, covering how do we understand and apply the idea of justice into today's world? You know, we looked at the definitions. We saw some different laws and ways that it's used in the Old Testament Israel. As we know, uh, we are uh, Christians under the new covenant today. And so what does it actually mean? How do we properly interpret and understand how those different laws, those different instructions apply to believers in today's world? And um, what it made me think of was uh, all of us have probably noticed that certain trends that used to be fashionable, hip, if you want to use that term, uh, back in the day seem to make their resurgence as time goes on, right? We've probably seen how a lot of fashion trends from the 80s have kind of made a resurgence, right? Different types of music that used to be popular with certain synth sounds or instruments have kind of made their way back into a lot of modern music. We're seeing even a little bit of the 90s start to come as well. You know, I, I'm still waiting for the day that someone wears an all denim outfit. It's, it's not yet here, I don't think, but one day I think it's going to be here. Uh, shout outs to uh, JT and Brittany, but I'm sure one day all those trends will come back. But what you notice as you sort of see the resurgence of some of these themes and trends is a lot of the old school styles are coming back, but they're also a little bit different. But it's not exactly always the exact same way that people would dress or exactly the way that music would sound. A lot of those influences are there, but not all of it is there. You know, there is sort of a modern twist as time has kind of gone on the ways that a lot of our music and culture are being done here. And I think when we're trying to understand Old Testament laws, right, the Mosaic law or the Old Testament, it's a lot of the same type of blend that we would take them as, as New Testament believers. In that we do believe that it's important to understand what the Old Testament says, but the way that we as Christians relate to these ideas are different. And so that's what we're going to cover as we go through here, um, trying to understand how all of this plays out in today's world. So hopefully you see kind of the outline as you're seeing the main bullet points, but just to give it to you ahead of time first, we're going to look at what is the difference between the Old and New Testament eras. So how do we just in general hermeneutically understand the Old Testament in the light of the New? 
Uh, secondly, as you're seeing in your outline, we're going to break down what is the significance of the Old Testament today in light of the fact that there are these changes. Then we're going to look at the precedence or the importance of keeping primary the gospel focus of the church, right? So in whatever ways that uh, all of these principles are important, uh, what does it mean that now we are in the New Testament, we are part of the church, and we have unique focuses and emphases there? And then we'll break down some general takeaways of what this means or how we should be thinking about justice. Ending with, and this is just a brief intro to going into next week, how should we begin to define injustice, right? How do we think through real life complex issues in a way that will help us to try to have conversations around what's truly just versus unjust? So there's a lot that's here. Each one of these bullet points or outlines you see can be its own class. Uh, we're doing it all in one week for the sake of time, but I hope that this overview can be helpful. So uh, the first part, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament eras. Uh, we looked a lot at the Mosaic Law, right, that we see in Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus. That we saw that all last week. All of that was given to the, the people in the nation of Israel because it laid out the ways in which they could be a holy people before a holy God. Um, but as New Testament believers, we understand that Jesus Christ has completely fulfilled that Mosaic Law. Um, maybe if we can get some people to look up some of these verses, it could be helpful as we're sort of going through. Um, if someone's willing to find Matthew 5, 17, okay. Uh, if someone can find Galatians 3, 19 to 26, okay. And then if someone can find Judges 21, 23. All right, and then the last one, Acts 5, 15. Okay, perfect, Bill. So if you can just pull it up because we're going to go through each one of these uh, in turn. And so, you know, as we're looking at the Mosaic Law, we remember that this was, again, the conditional covenant uh, between Yahweh and then the people of Israel. It was understanding the ways in which they were supposed to follow him, right? The, the things that they had to do and not do in order to be God's people. And so basically at the end of it, there's a series of blessings and curses. If you obey all of these things as you're called to do, you will be blessed as a nation, right? You will win your wars, your crops will be abundant and full, all types of wonderful things. And if you disobey them, which we understand that they did, there will be all of these curses that come about. Eventually, as we see, that led to all types of punishments and the exile and all types of tragedies there. Uh, and so, you know, what we see in the Old Testament Mosaic Law is that there was indeed a purpose, right? It was showing what it meant to be a perfectly holy and righteous person, which none of Israel was, right? They did not keep those commandments there, all 613 of them. But in Jesus, we now see how he has changed our nature or relationship to the Mosaic Law. You can go ahead and read that Matthew passage. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Hmm. Right, and so as he's starting to set up the way of understanding what it means to follow him, he's trying to draw our attention back to the law and the prophets. Basically, everything that we're seeing in the Old Testament as far as it goes to how we relate to God. And Jesus is saying, I have not come to just completely abolish it in the sense that, you know, it's not important, but he's come to say, I have now fulfilled it. I am fulfilling the stipulations of the Mosaic law, right? So all those commandments of how to be a righteous Jewish Israelite, how to have that perfect relationship with God, right? That set of laws that no human being is able to perfectly fulfill, Jesus has fulfilled. Right? He has lived out the life of the perfect Israelite, of the perfect Jew. He has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And that's why, as you go through the rest of the New Testament, we understand that we are not saved by our works, right? Uh, we trust in what Jesus has done. We have faith in him because he has done the perfect righteous work that none of us are able to do. And so that's why as we, as New Testament believers, trust in Christ as we are saved by grace through faith alone, we are not bound to the Mosaic law. And so that's why we don't go back to the, those laws and say, hey, I need to follow every single one of these exactly uh, in order to have a relationship with God as the Israelites were trying to do. In Christ, all that has been fulfilled. And so as we look to Galatians 3, we're going to see um, another aspect of this. Did you have a, a question? Or that's why we can that is why we can eat bacon, exactly. Thank you, Tony, and thank God for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, can you go ahead and read the Galatians uh, 3.19 passage? Yeah, uh, why then the law? It was added because of the transgressions until the 
offspring should come to him, come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be um, indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the, uh, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Yeah. Uh, I realized it was a little bit longer than I thought, but thank you for reading that. Um, hopefully you can go back and read the whole passage later to hear the context. But the brief summary of it is basically saying this. The law, the Mosaic law, was never meant to be the permanent way that God's people would relate to him. Right? It had its purpose and its season, but the main purpose, as Paul is explaining there in Galatians 3, is to actually point us to our need for a Savior. That is, that even for those who are in Israel as they're reading all 613 laws and they knew every day that they were breaking some form or fashion of it, they were being reminded of their constant sinfulness, that they wouldn't be able to fully keep the law. Even as they would do the sacrifices, they would be reminded that as soon as I've done one and hopefully on the day of atonement, my sins are being forgiven, I'm sinning the next day, right? And I'm immediately waiting for the next round. All of that in the Mosaic Law was pointing to the fact that we needed an ultimate change, right? We needed a Savior that would be able to redeem us from our sin. And so that's why even then the Mosaic Law points to the fact that we need Christ. And so now in Christ, now that we have him, our relationship is completely changed. And as Tony is so wonderfully saying, that's why as you're looking at the specifics of some of those commands, we can eat shellfish, we can not eat bacon, uh, you can cut your hair for those of you who have hair. Uh, you know, all of these things that, you know, maybe at some point for different reasons you weren't supposed to do um, in Christ, right? You know, he has fulfilled the law and we're not bound to those specifically. And so that's where we have to be careful as believers that we don't read some of these Old Testament laws and say, because it says this here, this is exactly what we're called to do today. And there is a, a hermeneutical difference that we'll see. Part of that is what we're seeing here in this last part of the slide. There is a difference between description in texts and then prescription in texts. So what does that mean? It means that whenever we're reading passages of scripture, we have to understand, is this trying to just describe something that has taken place or is it trying to prescribe the way that a, a modern-day believer is called to live? Because it's not always the same thing. We don't read every single passage of Scripture and say, therefore, whatever it says here, that's something that I'm called to do today. Uh, we have two examples here in Judges 21-23 and then Acts 5-15. Uh, who had the Judges passage? Okay. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers uh, whom they carried off. Okay, so a lot's going on in the passage. Uh, if you've studied the book of Judges, you know it's a very sad part of Israel's history, right? The whole book is sad. Everything is spiraling more and more into depravity. Uh, but what happens at the very end of the book, right? Because of what happened in the tribe of Benjamin with the rape and the murder of uh, you know, one of the people, uh, the rest of Israel is going to war with the tribe. They kill a lot of the men. It's a disaster. And so as we're coming to the end of the book, they quickly realize, wait a second, there's not enough, uh, you know, wives for those who are left. And so what was their bright idea? They say, why don't you go kidnap women from that part of the town that didn't help with the war? They said, that's a great idea, Israel, right? And so that's literally how the book ends, is they go and kidnap uh, wives to, to basically replenish the rest of the tribe that was so killed. And of course, the book ends with, and in that day, everyone did what was right on their own side, right? Pointing to the fact that God's people needed a king, as we see eventually is seen in the earthly kings, but ultimately pointing to the eternal king who is Christ. Um, now, hopefully you never read a passage like that and think, okay, I'm single, right? So I'm going to go find a you know, husband or wife or whatever, you know, by, because, you know, scripture says something like that. Just because a passage says something does not mean we're trying to living out exactly in the way that it's done there. Um, 
maybe for time's sake, you know, I'll just reference the uh, Acts 15 passage, but that's just one of many in which we're seeing how the apostles are doing various signs and wonders and miracles, right? And as you're reading contextually through the rest of the New Testament, those signs and wonders were done to uh, validate their apostolic ministry, the fact that they were indeed sent by God with spiritual authority from him. But we know many people who will read a passage like Acts 15 or many other ones and say, well, because these people did these very special works, because tongues were spoken in this way, I should be doing it today too. So again, description does not always mean prescription. So that's a general hermeneutical point, but when we're thinking about the Mosaic law, it very much applies as well. We don't want to look at specific passages and say, because it was done in this exact way, that's what we should be doing today. And so already you can think about some justice conversations you may have had that we have just in the general Christian world. Think, okay, you know, oftentimes if a person is pointing to a passage in the Old Testament, as we're going to see, it doesn't mean we completely disregard it, but we should never be looking at those as a single-handed validation that because it says this, this is what we're called to do in the exact same way. Because even though Christ has fulfilled the Mosaic law, right, there is a difference, again, in the way that we understand the Old and the New Testament, there is still significance in the Old Testament today, right? And this is going to be our second point here. Uh, three basic reasons uh, that even though we are not under the Mosaic law, right, we're not bound to follow it in the exact way that it's revealed, it's still important that we consider it and read it and study it. The first one should be very um, Obvious, it's a well-known passage. Well, I'm going to read it. If someone can find the other two, Leviticus 11.45. Someone have that? Okay. And then if someone can also find um, uh, just the Isaiah 1.17. Okay, I think you had your hand up as well. So this one I think we should all be familiar with. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right, so again, all scripture comes from God and therefore is profitable, is beneficial for everything that we need to do in the Christian life, right? There's a purpose behind every single word of God's word. And so we should not look at the Old Testament and say, because we're in the New Testament, I don't need to read that anymore. Right. Unfortunately, some of us have maybe heard about uh, what's going on with uh, Andy Stanley, a well-known pastor who's now embraced different forms of uh, homosexual Christian behavior. And, and part of where that comes from, as he said for a while, is you know, we're in the New Testament era. Right? We don't need to read the old anymore. Those are kind of barbaric and archaic laws. Um, and again, I'm not trying to look down on him particularly. That's a very sad reality of uh, where he's taking his church. But uh, you know, what we believe as believers is that every single passage has something for us. We can walk away and learn something in every single passage, including those Mosaic laws. And here's two reasons why. These are the other points here. We have to remember, as we talked about last week, every Old Testament law reflects something about God's character, right? What you're seeing there is not just arbitrary that God said, well, maybe do this and that for whatever reasons, right? Everything that you're seeing, even in the Mosaic law, is a reflection of who God is. It's based on his character because he wants us to be like him. Uh, can you go ahead and read Leviticus 11.45 for us? Okay. Uh, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. That last phrase, be holy as I am holy, or some translations will have it, you shall be holy for I am holy. The reason that God gives us any command or any word is because he wants his followers to become more like him. Right? That's what we mean by becoming more Christ-like or more godly is we want to be more like him. And so even in these laws in which we would say directly, we do not need to follow them to the T as they're written, there's some aspect of who God is that's being revealed. Right? There's something in which we can see the character of him and say there is something to be emulated to some degree. And again, that we need to use proper hermeneutics, and it's not going to be 100% obvious what that means for certain ritual laws, but we want to do the best that we can because we know that it's showing something about who God is. And then thirdly, as it says here, every Old Testament law teaches some aspect about our theology and what it means to live for God. Um, whoever had the Isaiah 117 passage, you can read that. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, there, and that's technically not the Mosaic Law, but it's one of the commandments we see in the Old Testament. That was one of the passages that we see about caring for those who cannot help themselves, right? Those that can be seen as being oppressed or they're weak in society. And so whenever we're seeing a lot of these Old Testament verses, in many ways, the principle of them can be seen in different New Testament passages as well. So you hear a passage like that, then you have a passage like James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world, right? So we wouldn't look at that Isaiah passage and say, well, you know, the way that it's seen there in some of the Old Testament laws, that is exactly what we need to follow. But we would see that even as New Testament believers, the principles, because they're based on the character of God, are things that we as Christians should pursue as well. Um, some other examples, that was the, the Leviticus 1 to 7 reference. Um, there you see a lot of the Old Testament sacrifices being explained, right? Everything from the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, the peace offerings, uh, the whole shebang. As believers today, we're not called to do those same sacrifices as they're depicted in the Old Testament, but we see a lot of references to the fact that we are called to make sacrifices. Can anyone think of an example that we heard recently in church? Yeah, Romans 12, right? If we were here last week from Pastor Jerry's sermon, that's all about what does it mean to live as a living sacrifice before God, right? So it's not that we look and say, oh, those Leviticus passages have nothing to do with me today. We understand that we are still called to make sacrifices. It's just that instead of doing physical, literal offerings of grain, it is our entire lives that we are offering before the Lord. Another passage is there, you know, uh, 1 John 2, 2. You know, we understand that Jesus was the perfect atoning sacrifice that, you know, atones for our sins. So again, it's not that we would say atonement and sacrifices are unimportant. We understand that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that nothing else could compare to. And so when we're looking at all these different Old Testament laws, the commands that are given, even if we're not under the Mosaic law today, we don't just completely disregard it, right? We say, what about this command, this law, shows us some aspect of who God is and therefore how we should be? You know, some aspect of how we could be trying to live it there. Uh, this does mean, of course, we need to do hermeneutics because it's not always 100% obvious for certain very strange types of uh, laws or ritual laws that you see there, but there is a purpose behind everything that's there. And so summarizing as relating to this class, we understand again, point one, that we are not under the Mosaic law, at the same time, there is significance in something that we can learn from the Mosaic law. And going back to the theme of justice, right, because God is a God of justice, he demands that for his believers in the Old Testament, even today, believers must be just as well, right? We need to be just in the way that we relate to people. The question, of course, is how do we actually practice this, which we're slowly getting to. Uh, one other aspect that we need to now consider is this. Now that we are in Christ, um, now that we've been made as people, right? We are under the new covenant. Jesus is our uh, form of righteousness. He's the path to God. Um, how do we understand what's most important of how we're called to live as believers in today's church? And so here's our section, the precedence of, go of gospel focus. Uh, one background note that's really important for some of these conversations is that term gospel, as we see in the New Testament, can be used in two different senses. Um, so in one sense, you see Luke uh, 4, 18 and 19, the other Romans 1 to 16, 17. Uh, can someone find Luke 4 for us? Okay. And then someone find Romans 1, 16 and 17. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's fine if it's the same people. I would encourage all of us to consider reading, but there's no, uh, no ma mandate for that. Sometimes when you're hearing people talk, uh, even in churches around justice, you'll hear them, you know, make phrases like, well, you know, uh, to, to, you know, have the gospel means we have to fight for X, Y, and Z issue. Uh, and so as believers, we can say there's a lot of things that we have to be careful of. At the same time, we also have to be very nuanced in how we understand what the text says because the word gospel can actually be used in two different senses. One, it can be seen as the micro view or the zoomed in lens, that's Kevin DeYoung's phrase, uh, which is talking about the nature of salvation in itself, right? The way in which uh, an unholy, sinful sinner can be reconciled to God. 
The other sense that it's actually used oftentimes, and this is where you have to read it in context, is both the gospel message of how a person is saved, as well as all of the blessings and benefits of God's kingdom that comes through the gospel. And so in that term, we actually see it being used both ways. Uh, let's look at the macro sense in Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So that's a passage that can be often cited by people that are looking at this macro view, right? They will say, what is the gospel? What should we be doing? It means, of course, we have, you know, Jesus, but then look at everything else that's going to come with it, right? You know, the captives are freed. Those that are oppressed are, you know, are taken out. You know, I think the, the blind are healed, things like that. And that's not a wrong use of the word. The thing that we have to be careful of is that's talking about the gospel in the message of Jesus and what he's done, but also all of the ramifications or blessings that will come as God brings his future kingdom in the future, right? So part of where the difference is, is, uh, you know, one, some people will have the position called post-millennialism, which is the understanding that through everything we're doing here on earth, through our good acts of fighting injustice and trying to bring all types of change, we are going to usher in all of those promises that you just read there, right? So through my actions, through what I'm doing, we will bring all of those things to be true. And that's why to really believe in the gospel, it's not just preaching the good news, but it's doing the types of actions that will bring real societal change. You know, our understanding as a church, as a premillennial church, is that God's kingdom will come in the literal kingdom that's coming later in the book of Revelation. And that is where you are going to see a lot of these things fleshed out eventually as we go then into eternity, right? So it's not that we would say none of those passages are important and true. It's that we would say it's not something we do ourselves, right? As God uses the gospel to change our hearts over the course of time, all of that will be done through his timing and through his purpose as the kingdom comes. So that's where we want to be careful because it's not that people that use passages like that are completely wrong when they say, hey, this is part of the gospel, is this not the sense in what we refer to as our mission today as Christ's church, the way and the nature of salvation, which we hear in a passage like Romans 1, 16 to 17. If we can read that. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. <laughs> yeah, so what's the micro or the zoomed-in lens of the gospel, which is the main way that we as believers today relate to it and understand? It is the path and nature and way, again, that we can be saved. Right? Everything about what we need to trust in Jesus and his work. Uh, you know, well-known passages like Romans 23 to 25, all of those different aspects of what we need to believe about ourselves, our sinfulness, God's glory, the fact that we've fallen short of it, of the nature of what Christ has done on the cross, all of that, as we know, is the gospel, right? And that is the main way in which we as believers today understand it, right? And so the focus that we see as New Testament believers is the proclamation of this message. I think a lot of us know the passage, so I'm just going to read it, but it's Matthew 28, 18 to 20, what's known as the Great Commission. So it says, and Jesus came and said to them, right? This is his final charge in the gospel uh, to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? We understand that this is the mission that we've been given here as God's people today, as the church. Right? We're called to, three words, uh, evangelism, baptism, and discipleism. Right? That's not the, the proper word, but just to kind of bring it all together. Right? It's evangelism, uh, baptism, and then discipleism or disciple making. So what is it that we're trying to focus on as believers in God's church today? It is the proclamation and making of disciples. And so I even think about New Community Church's mission statement, right? You know, every organization or church has a mission that they're saying, this is our main focus. And I'm very grateful that it says this, we exist to bring glory to God, to make disciples, and to share God's love with our community. 
right? It's very much that Great Commission focus. And this is what we're called to do as believers today. This is what every single church is called to do, right? The focus is supposed to be on making sure that the gospel is proclaimed, people are being taught in ways to be able to understand how to live the Christian life in a more God-honoring manner, and that is indeed the focus that we have here. And so how do we reconcile these two different understandings of how that term gospel can be used? Yes, the gospel is sometimes cited in different passages to show both the message of salvation, but then also all the outflowings or the ramifications of our salvation, many of which we will see as Christ's kingdom eventually does come back here. And it's not something that you or I are called to uh, forcefully make happen in today's world. Right, but instead, what do we see as the main focus for us is the proclamation of that micro understanding of the gospel or the, the gospel in its essence, which is that unrighteous people can be made righteous before a holy God. So thinking through everything we covered last week, what we've covered so far, I, I know that's a lot, um, but I want to give us a, a couple clarifications here to understand, right? This is where we want to be nuanced in our understanding of these issues. There's differences between a couple different terms. Number one, there's a difference between gospel issues and justice issues. So going back to the understanding from the Old Testament and who God is, right? We are called to be, and in a righteous society, a nation or people will be just. In the sense of fairness and equity, people being treated as they should, um, righteousness being upheld and promoted, all of that are important, right? A believer should be just, we should be in that sense righteous, and we should care about justice being done. But that is a different category than gospel issues, right? When you're trying to say what is the gospel as we understand it, um, that is a different category. And so that's kind of one area in which people can uh, blur things and say, well, you know, the justice is the gospel, and so to preach the gospel, you need to fight for justice. We're not saying that it's unimportant, but there are different categories. Similarly, then, you see this. There's a difference between the gospel itself and then gospel applications, right? So we want to understand what is the gospel as we've looked from some of these passages. Again, we can go through all of Romans 3, well, the entire book of Romans to understand the gospel. And then there are all of the different actions, the emphases that a believer can or should have as they're trying to live out their faith in Christ. Right? And so we want to be careful because some people will look at certain commands or things that they should do and say, well, uh, you got to do this as part of the gospel. This is what the message of God is. And, and that's where, if we're being careful, people are being wrong or overgeneralizing in some of their statements. Right? We would say, yes, the gospel is the message that we've talked about here. And yes, we are called to live in a million different ways as we see in the, the pages of scripture. All of those are important, but is are you talking about the gospel or applications or outworkings of the gospel? So there we have to be careful. Then uh, a third category, taking some of what we've heard so far, there's a difference between what a church can do and then what a church must do. So if the focus of our mission, even though you don't see that word in scripture, the idea of our main calling or our main focus, right? There are many passages which talk about what a church must be about, which is, again, what we talked about, the proclamation of the gospel, discipleship, evangelism, teaching God's word, making sure that all of that can be done, right? So if a church is not doing that, if they're blurring what the gospel means, if they're focusing on other things as their main priority, that's when we can see a church is being unbiblical or losing its mission, right? In that sense, they can be unfaithful to God's calling. At the same time, there is a sense of liberty of what a church can do or can teach or focus on, right? So if you're looking at the pages of scripture, there are many different um, you know, ways in that, that that can be implied, right? So if we're thinking about even the topic of justice, we want to be careful that a church is not making justice their main mission and focus, but based on everything that we've covered in this class and a half so far, if the scriptures really do talk about justice, it's not inherently wrong if a church is wanting to preach on that. Now, as we'll get into some of the conversations in the next couple of weeks, what you define as justice is going to be vastly important. Um, you know, how um, you know, black and white versus gray matters are is a huge question around levels of discernment and what is wise for a church to address. 
But in God's timing, because we see many passages talking about various issues, it's not inherently wrong for a church to have ministries or times in which they talk or focus on different issues. Let me give you two examples that I think are probably more intuitive for us. We believe that abortion is a sin, right? And if we're looking at the categories of how justice would be defined, I think we will be right in saying that abortion in today's world is actually a form of injustice in the sense that uh, people, that is the babies, are not being treated in a way that is righteous and good and fair. And so that's why, as believers, we would say it is good to affirm that and talk about that. And there will be times where maybe a church will have a, a message on a Sunday morning uh, where they talk about how abortion is a sin and the importance of life. Uh, there are churches that will have entire ministries dedicated to things like ultrasounds and being able to try to um, help mothers who are thinking about potentially, as we would say, killing their, their children. Um, you know, churches can have a ministry like that. And even though not every single church or person would say it, that could be seen as a type of justice ministry. Now, here's where we have to be careful, right? We would not say that you must have a ministry like that to be faithful as a church, right? We would not say that uh, trying to fight against abortion or talk about it or setting up ultrasound clinics is part of the gospel or something that must be part of a church's mission, right? But if scripture really does talk about the realities of righteousness, justice, and injustice, in liberty and with wisdom, a church can choose to focus on certain issues like that. Another example, uh, human trafficking, right? If a person is being enslaved, is being taken because they have no strength and being forced into sex trafficking, which we see in so many parts of the world, being forced into just manual slavery, which happens in many types as well, um, you know, that is a true injustice. Right? People are being, as the scriptures would, would use, being oppressed in the sense that they are being dominated against their will and forced into unrighteous activity. Right? And so it is a justice matter. It is a righteousness matter. Now, a church does not need to make that a focus in what they do. Right? But if a church chooses to, as some do, have a ministry that tries to minister to those who have been in sex trafficking, or they choose to talk about that as part of a sermon. Um, that in itself is not wrong. Now, again, taking all these categories that we've talked about, the question when you're hearing something like that is, is a church blending that with the gospel, or do they have the proper understanding of what is truly just and righteous, and they're making that clear distinction? Are they making something as an emphasis for season of time, saying, hey, this is an important issue for whatever reason? Or are they now making this the banner call for all that they are saying is this is what we are about as a church? And so hopefully as we're hearing um, this you know, session and a half so far, this is the level of nuance that we need to have in our discussions here. Right? It's not that we look at any church that says, I want to talk about a justice matter and say they are instantly unbiblical and wrong. A lot of them might be, right? That's why you're asking yourself, what exactly do you mean by justice? What is the topic that you're talking about here? But if we understand the difference between what the gospel is and then how we live out the gospel and being uh, agents of righteousness, there is a lot of different ways you can take something like that. Okay, so that's an important clarification. Now, here are a couple takeaways here. What should we do or how should we think about these matters as believers? Do not overemphasize or underemphasize the importance of justice in the Christian life, right? So what do we often see in churches today? Uh, you'll see those that will say, hey, we need to be fighting for justice and whatever that means, right? And then every single Sunday, every single message, everything becomes about that topic. It's not that we don't care about justice, but what is our focus again? It is proclaiming the gospel. It's discipleship. It's teaching. The danger that we can have for churches like ours, because you see, you know, some extremes in other churches, is we'll underemphasize it in the sense that we have no idea what the Bible actually says about justice. We don't even use the term because we think it's, it's something that's compromising um, God. As believers, right, we've seen through these last session and a half that it is something that believers should care about. Right? If God is a God of justice, we too should be just. And that means that we have to be assessing our own lives as well. Um, but we don't want to overemphasize it there. 
And then the second point of clarification or takeaway, as believers or as a church, we have a gospel focus, but then we need to hold God's view of justice, right? So these two terms are not mutually exclusive, right? So just because you are affirming, hey, you know, there is uh, human sex trafficking that's happened, that is horrible, right? That is a sin. That's something we should pray for. We don't want to go, no, 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 right? We only focus on the gospel, right? It is okay to bring up certain topics as areas of grievances that we pray for, but we don't want to be those that blur the gospel together, as we often see happen, saying you need to, and, and there are churches that do this, you know, we need to fight for, against human trafficking because it is a gospel issue, right? And so if we're not doing this as a church, we're not proclaiming the gospel. That's where then you're, blur, you're blurring these two lines there. And then thirdly, right, going to the idea of, of Christian liberty and wisdom and making decisions, we can't address all world injustices, but may choose to address some injustices. So thinking back to this, right, there are those churches that will say fighting human trafficking is the end all be all. We need to be doing this as a church. We're going to do this. Once you've started, you know, moving down that line to where you say a church must engage justice in one area, it becomes difficult or impossible to determine where you stop, right? Once you've said this area of injustice is important and therefore we'll talk about it as a church, uh, what about other areas of injustice and other areas? And soon, you know, you, you all see the reality that it's impossible to make your church's mission address every single evil, that, evil that's going on in the world. Right? That's just not possible or feasible. Um, so that's why we understand a church should not be doing that and believers should not be doing that. But in Christian liberty, right, if we are striving for what is most important, which is the gospel and proclaiming that, people in their own conscience as they're living out their Christian life may have the desire to address particular injustices, right? And so we know of many faithful believers who've started things like a crisis pregnancy center, right? Where they have a desire to care for those um, who are being killed in the womb, right? And we wouldn't look at them and say, why on earth would you do that? Right? We would say, yes, of course, as long as you're not losing your focus, by all means, praise God for that ministry. In the same way, we'll know of uh, Christian ministries or organizations that do try to address human trafficking by offering homes for kids. And if parents are wanting to sell their daughters and their, to a sex trafficker, we'll try to uh, bring that child in first and minister to them so they hear the gospel. That can be a, a God-honoring ministry. And so we have to recognize that. We don't want to look at what certain people are doing and say, because it is not the gospel, that is wrong. But requires all these different levels of understanding. What is the gospel? What are the outflowings of the gospel? What should a church must do versus what a church can do? And as we're going to start to look at as we go into uh, the next couple of weeks, what is truly a justice issue versus what, what do people call a justice issue? Right? So again, hopefully you're, you're listening and agreeing with all these points um, because I would say they all come from scripture. The big question then as we're getting to, as we look into the last three weeks, how do we truly understand what is an issue of justice versus preference? Uh, what is truly unjust and unrighteous versus um, just what a person expects or desires, right? And so all that requires much nuanced thought. Um, so here's where we're going to go into the last section. And then we'll take some questions because I'm sure there's a lot. Uh, how do we then define injustice? So we're going to start to look into this more as we go into next week, but I do want to at least start the conversation here. Um, there's a, an author, I think a pastor named Isaac Adams. He, he might not be a, a pastor, but he is a writer um, who came up with these three questions that I think is helpful. Um, like certain other authors, I would not agree with everything that he says, so don't take this as a wholesale endorsement of all of his writing or books, but these three questions are helpful to think through. There are three levels of any issue that we have to think about in addition to what does the Bible say, right? So even once you understand what scripture has to say on any type of topic, that alone, like we said in the definition of justice, does not tell you how we should think or interact on every single situation. There's three other questions, and this is why Christians will disagree. The first is the historical question. So in any type of of scenario that you're thinking about, that people find whether it's just or unjust, there's the, there a real question of what actually happened. Everything from the nature of slavery to climate change to how economics works, all of that can be seen as the historical question 
of how do you actually understand the reality of how a situation unfolded, people are going to disagree on that. Then, of course, related to that, it's going to be what he calls the judicial question. Right? This isn't judicial in the technical sense of scripture, but just how we think about situations. Was it right? You know, whatever has taken place, is that something that was truly good uh, or just? And then there's a third set of questions, the ethical question. What should we do about it, if anything? So however you stand on different issues, right? Let's say you do agree on what has actually taken place and you do come to the same understanding of something was right or wrong. There's going to be the series of dialogues and conversations around. Um, is there a responsibility or can a person engage in whatever topic we're referring to? And so here's a, a general summary of how we need to be careful as we're discerning some of these issues. When we're talking about a difference in a person's understanding of whatever topic we're getting to, is it truly a false teaching issue? That is, they are twisting the words of scripture, or is it a difference in how we interpret world events? Because this is a very, very key distinction here. Um, when we're engaging with believers or even churches that are taking uh, certain stances on things, we have to understand, is this truly a false teaching issue in the sense that they are distorting what biblical justice is based on the character of God, or they are distorting the nature of the gospel, they're distorting the mission of a church, right? Are they truly uh, teaching something that's false or wrong, or do they have all of the same understandings and definitions that we've talked about in these two classes so far? They would agree 100% with everything you've said, but there's a difference in how they're interpreting what's taking place in the world. And so oftentimes, you know, when we're talking with a, a believer, right, or a person that has a different take on something that's going on, when they disagree, it's very easy to say that person is compromising the gospel, right? They are being uh, whatever term we want to use that's, you know, derogatory and, and negative about their spiritual character. That does happen, right? And there are real cases in which a person has distorted and lost what scriptures actually say. But we have to be careful because if a situation is a little bit more complex, then it, we don't want to just jump straight to that, right? We want to know, okay, maybe they do have all the same understandings of what justice is, but let's talk about how are you are interpreting what's going on. And so as we go into even next week, then as we go into each of these individual issues, we're going to understand why is it that Christians can have disagreement around some of these terms and concepts? Because it basically boils down to this. You know, some people will have an unbiblical understanding of something. They are twisting scripture. They have compromised the mission of a church. They have completely gone off the deep end. But others have not. And so we don't want to lump everyone into the same category. We want to be able to have conversations around there. I'm going to give one last example here as we close at our time because uh, I don't think this will come up in the rest of our sessions. Um, I think all of us are familiar with the war that's going on between Israel right, and Hamas, you know, those that are in Gaza. Um, it's a very sad circumstance. I hope we are all praying for that circumstance. Pastor Rich had a wonderful article that came out earlier this week, which gave some great pointers of how we should think about this type of issue. And so if you haven't read it, I would encourage all of us to read it. It gives great perspective there. Um, based on everything that we've seen from how scripture on the character of God defines what is just and unjust, we would say, right, it is an evil atrocity. It is an injustice for terrorists to attack a nation like Israel, right? Hopefully we can all agree on that. Um, it is not good. It is an evil. It is a wrong, right? And so, of course, it would be a just thing for a, a nation, a country to defend itself, right? To seek to protect its borders and do all of those things that do accord with justice. Now, there's going to be a question as time goes forward, right? Uh, we do understand that a war is taking place. How much a casualty uh, of civilians will then warrant something going from a just cause to an unjust cause. As we're thinking about these upcoming days and weeks, as we know, unfortunately, many um, innocent people will lose their lives on either side. At what point does a person make an interpretive, um, an interpretation that something, a certain action is either just part of defense or unjust in the sense of unnecessarily kill killing people? That is an open question around these different elements that we've seen here. Because all of us would agree with the general principles, right? 
we should be just. It is righteous and it's fine to protect your own life and to defend your own house and family. It is wrong to unnecessarily attack innocent people. But in the sense of what's going on, and again, I'm not trying to focus on this in particular. It's just something that I know we're all thinking about. At what point do certain decisions move from righteous or just acts to then unrighteous or unjust acts? That is a complicated question. Right? I'm not trying to say one innocent person dying makes the whole thing wrong. But this is the level in which uh, conversations become difficult. Right? We don't just want to lump everyone saying either you are for the nation of Israel and therefore you are righteous and good. And if you don't support their total assault, you know, you're wrong. We understand that these topics are very complicated, right? Uh, and so as we go through looking into next week, we're going to begin to unpack how should we think about these types of conversations? How can we make sure that we're addressing the real issue, being careful, being nuanced and in-depth with how we discuss this without just unnecessarily overgeneralizing or attacking a person that doesn't deserve to be attacked? And from that, then we'll look through some of these quote-unquote justice issues. What is truly an area of justice versus injustice? What is uh, biblical versus unbiblical? And what is biblical versus preference? Right, we're going to start a break and look at all of those things there. Um, so I know that was a lot. Uh, we have about five or seven minutes there. We'd love to just hear uh, any questions you guys have. I know this is, again, your, your brains are thinking. I had to think a lot the last you know, three months. This is in depth. But we'd love to know if there are questions or um, things that are coming to mind. Yeah. In regard to what a church must do versus what a church can do, um, of course, you know, there, there's a lot of things the church can do, right? You articulated that, and um, even those things that would be good, right? Would there, wouldn't there not be a sense in which that one reason that we can't do everything we can do is because if we're doing everything we must do well, that in and of itself is a tall order mm. already, right? That, that's going to take up so much time and resources. Not, yeah. Probably not leaving very much mm -hmm. for, you know, anything else. Yeah. In, in the church. Yeah. I, I think that's a good point. Um, and yes, yeah, so that would be one element or dynamic of it, right? If our main focus is the proclamation of God's word, discipleship, ministry, yes, that, that does take a lot of time, right? To know scripture accurately, to spend the relational um, time and currency that's needed to develop those relationships. And so for those that are very much involved, yes, they're not gonna be able to fight every single battle and that would be one reason. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Going back to the interplay between the Old Testament and New Testament and the Mosaic Law, um, the New Testament is above, your, above, your, uh, above the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. And then man comes back and says, in order to love God, you have to obey his commands. So does that not somehow incorporate by reference, I would say, in my field, the, the Mosaic element to an extent into the, the, uh, the New Testament law? Hmm. Okay. Um, yes, th that's a good question if I understand it. So I think we would say, you know, so how does Jesus define what those laws are? So sometimes when you look at the New Covenant, people will say, well, the, the general summary is to love God with all things. The elements of the Mosaic law, most of them, because they are based on the character of God, you will see some type of reference in the New Testament about them. Again, most of the Ten Commandments, all the other, uh -huh. eating all, like, the bacon's not in the Ten Commandments, in the New Testament, I get that. Yeah. I, and I guess, I, I guess my question is, if we're going to define justice as the very first term, what is right, we've got to figure out what is right, what's truth, you know, what is, that's what we, where we get off of the, the tangent in today's society. Mm -hmm. So... And I guess what is there more clear directives, and I just might lack of ignorance of all the uh -huh. scripture, is are there more clear directives of what commands hmm. the New Testament are you supposed to obey as those or not? Yeah, um, if I understand correctly, and we can definitely talk more, yeah. you know, separately. Uh, it's just everything that you see in the New Testament, right? So there's all the different commands. It's not that we pick and choose certain ones. If you're asking about how do we understand what is truly just in light of the, the New Testament, that is where there will be some level of, of disagreement of how you interpret or make determinations of certain events. It is just the idea of doing what is fair and right and good. Yeah, so how you define that truly would be all the ways that we should love and care for one another. 
Um, but just by using the terms and understanding the concept, it won't always show you. Therefore, in this situation, here's what justice will look like. It, it might do, right? Obviously. Yeah, maybe I'm not fully understanding, so yeah. we'd love to touch okay. base after that. So, yeah. Maybe one more question. Yeah. Okay, your, your hand was yeah. up. Thank you. Yeah, totally understand. Yeah. Oh, yes, a uh, great question. So um, the, the book that I recommended last week was Kevin DeYoung's What is the Mission of the Church? So um, I have to do a, a nuanced thing. I don't think there's anything that would be a strong disagreement, maybe one or two small differences, but a very helpful resource on understanding this idea of gospel focus versus what a church can do you know, in, in Christian freedom. Uh, if you're thinking about the um, recording itself, because I know several people have asked for that, uh, eventually all the classes, not just for this class, but the other classes will be uploaded. Um, there was a little bit of a hiccup this past week, so they haven't been up there just yet, um, but they will come up, uh, I think, you know, probably later this week. So, yeah, okay. Did you say that the last three lessons will be more specific applications on current things happening around? Uh, yeah, so we'll be looking at... Uh, Lord willing, if we get to it time-wise for those three. So people talk about criminal justice. People talk about environmental justice, economic justice. There's a whole gamut of what people mean by that, what's right, what's wrong. We'll try to uh, break up those topics there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I uh, think our granddaughter has used uh, AI chat uh -huh. whatever it's called to do a paper on environmental justice. Oh, okay. I told her that was very interesting what mm. she wrote. Okay. It was Yes. Yes, well, and I'm sure there'll be different thoughts there. Yes, yeah. So lots of different thoughts there. Hopefully we'll try to break down, you know, um, how Christians can or should think about that. So All right. Well, uh, just to kind of wrap up our time, as always, I just want to quickly go over some of the announcements again.